Good morning, everybody, and welcome to The Daily Oz. It is Monday, the 16th of May. It is here, guys, the final countdown to the 2022 federal election. We all have to vote on Saturday, but there are actually about 3 million Australians who have already voted. You can do that at pre-poll stations. This week on The Daily Oz, things are going to look a little bit different on the podcast. We're going to be taking you through the five big policy areas and giving you a bit of a cheat sheet on where the parties stand on all of that. And to do that, we're going to bring in Tom Crowley every day to really tell you what you need to know. Zara, happy election week. What is making news this morning? So yesterday at a campaign launch, the coalition announced a new housing policy that'll see people able to access up to $50,000 of their superannuation to then put towards the purchase of their first home. Prime Minister Scott Morrison said the plan utilises money that's currently locked away to transform a family's life. Former Labor PM Paul Keating saw it a bit differently and called the plan a frontal assault on the superannuation system. Some really sad news over the weekend. Former Australian cricket star Andrew Simons has died in a car crash in North Queensland over the weekend. Police have said the cause of the crash remains unknown. Simons played 26 tests for Australia and was one of the biggest characters in one-day cricket. Ten people were killed in Buffalo, New York, after a shooter opened fire in a supermarket over the weekend. The local county sheriff, John Garcia, called the shooting a straight-up racially motivated hate crime from somebody outside of our community. The 18-year-old man has pleaded not guilty. And after those stories, we really do need some good news today for our Monday morning. So here it is. Ukraine has won the 2022 Eurovision contest with Kalush Orchestra finishing 193 points ahead of second place. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky said next year Ukraine will host Eurovision. So every day this week, we're going to be taking a look at one key policy area and getting a sense of where the parties stand on the big issues. These deep dives are presented in partnership with the Judith Nielsen Institute for Journalism and Ideas and will be joined every day this week by TDA journalist Tom Crowley to take us through what the big issues are. And Tom, welcome to today's episode. What are we tackling? Thank you. Full week of me, Zara. How exciting for you. I can't wait. Climate change, we're going to start with, Zara. It's, it's, I guess, kind of the biggest issue. It's what our readers tell us they care the most about in this election. So we thought it would be the perfect place to start this series. Brilliant. Okay, so to me at least the natural starting point is what are the emissions reduction targets that both of the major parties are setting out for this election? Yeah, that's right. So I'll, I'll start with where they both agree, at least in principle. How nice. This, uh, I know, I know. Don't get used to it. It's net zero by 2050. That's the kind of catchphrase that we've heard. And again, just to remind people kind of what net zero is, sort of like almost zero, but not quite. Basically, net zero is a version of the world where anything left that you do emit into the atmosphere, you're taking an equivalent amount out through some sort of carbon capture, even trees, for example. So that's the kind of, that's where we're headed. Both parties have signed up to that being by 2050. It's really, the, the difference is all about kind of how quickly you get there. And in particular, the year that's of focus for us at the moment is 2030. What's the target, the kind of interim target on the way to 2050 for 2030? For Labor, that target is 43% emissions reduction 
by 2030. For the coalition, it's 26 to 28%. So that's, I guess, kind of the, the big difference from which everything else flows is that kind of the 43 versus the 26 and the 28. Now, that those are just kind of random numbers. How do you get any kind of context for that? The most useful piece of context, I think, is what the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the kind of world's leading scientific authority on climate change, says that the whole world needs to reduce emissions by at least 43% by 2030 to be able to keep warming to 1.5 degrees, which is the kind of key tipping point that we hear about for staving off the most catastrophic uh, effects of climate change. So that's kind of, if you like, the baseline, the benchmark that the IPCC is saying that the whole world's got to hit 43% by 2030. There are some, and we'll come to the Greens in a moment, who suggest that Australia should be kind of doing more than more than the global average. Labor's position um, is, is on that kind of global average of a 43% reduction by 2030. The coalition's is lower than that. Okay, and Tom, I know this isn't a simple answer, but how are both of the parties suggesting they'll reach those targets? Maybe I'll start with the coalition, which is kind of the simplest answer because I suppose they've been in government and their view is that they've already got the policies in place to get us there. Scott Morrison, I think the phrase that he uses is Australia is on track to meet and beat its targets. The main kind of mechanisms, that there are kind of two main mechanisms that they've got in place for that. One of them is really all about the government investing in new technologies. I guess this idea that kind of renewable technologies or, or energy storage technologies might need a little bit of help to get off the ground and become viable in the early stages. The government is investing money specifically in projects about hydrogen and carbon capture and storage. Can you quickly explain what that means? Because I feel like that term is thrown around a lot and our listeners might not be aware of what it actually is. Yes, I was hoping you wouldn't ask. So it's essentially like, you know, I, I guess that it, carbon capture and storage, if you actually think about those words, I think it's basically just what that sounds like is, is, you know, ways to kind of take carbon emissions out of the atmosphere and store them, or I guess ways to kind of, you know, go through a normal production process that would emit, but to hold on to those emissions and not let them get into the atmosphere. That is, I'm not a scientist and any scientist who's listening will probably be able to pull me up on where I've got that slightly wrong, but I think that's the general idea and also projects based on hydrogen. They're, they're the two main things that that's kind of investing in and trying to, the idea is, you know, I think the coalition says technology, not taxes, is, is kind of the way that they would summarise that approach. There's that and then there's something called the Emissions Reduction Fund Yep. So take us through what that is, because I've heard it a lot throughout the election campaign and indeed before the election campaign. So what does it actually mean? Yeah. So these things all have very sort of long and, and not very useful names. Um, the Emissions Reduction Fund, the simplest way to put it, it's a scheme to pay people and businesses to pollute less. I think that is really the simplest way of putting it. So, so it's a credit-based system. They call them carbon credits. And if you have a project where you've reduced emissions in your business or, or as a person, you've kind of maybe you've planted a bunch of trees or something, you can get a credit for that and you can kind of buy and sell those credits. Those credits have a value. That kind of buying and selling mechanism, it's just sort of a way to encourage people to pollute less. That's kind of the carrot dimension to the Emissions Reduction Fund. There's also, if you like, a stick dimension to the Emissions Reduction Fund, which is called the Safeguard Mechanism. And that's something that applies to just really, really big polluters. And it basically says that they're not allowed to pollute above a baseline. And the baseline is sort of basically just their normal level of pollution. It's just a little sort of, I mean, I guess the word safeguard suggests it's just sort of a little bit of a backup. And the idea is if they 
have a really bad year of polluting more than they normally would, that they're forced to buy some of these carbon credits. So that's kind of, if you like, we can talk about the carrot and stick approach. That's the carrot of the emissions reduction fund. There's a little bit of a stick in there as well, which is something called the safeguard mechanism. It gets way too technical to get into all the details, but basically that's something that just kind of applies to the very biggest polluters calculates a baseline for them of kind of, you know, here's the maximum number of emissions that you can let out in any particular year. And if you go over that, we'll require you to buy some of these carbon credits. So that's basically how that scheme works. So those two things, this sort of technology investment approach and this kind of carbon credit scheme thing, they're the two big uh, mechanisms that the coalition already has. And they say that it has us on track to hit that 26 to 28% emissions reduction by 2030. Okay, excellent. And if we move to Labor, the opposition, what are they suggesting is the way to reach their emissions reduction targets? Sure. So obviously Labor's target is is higher. So I guess in that sense, they need to be a little bit more ambitious. One of the kind of big spending items is a $20 billion project to upgrade the national electricity market, basically to kind of make it fit for purpose for for renewables and, and to be able to, to emit less. So that's kind of one of the big centrepieces of that project. Another one of the the big centrepieces is a discount on uh, electric vehicles. And so it's sort of a tax discount when when electric cars get imported. They have to pay tax and there's sort of like a luxury car tax that some of them pay. So it's a discount on that, which essentially makes the electric vehicles cheaper. And that's kind of accompanied by some, some measures to install charging stations and that kind of thing to encourage electric vehicle take up. Labor's also funding a number of solar batteries and community solar storage units, essentially, um, again, as part of trying to encourage community take-up of renewables. They're kind of the big three. And then I guess the final thing that's worth mentioning is Labor is retaining that safeguard mechanism that I was talking about, but Labor's policy, um, consistent with what the Business Council of Australia has suggested, is to kind of bring down those baselines over time and to use that as a way to make sure that you're forcing these big polluters to slowly reduce their emissions. So I mentioned that baseline for those big polluters. If they go above the baseline, they've got to buy carbon credits. In other words, they basically sort of pay like a financial penalty, if you like. Labor's idea is that over time you you ratchet those baselines down and down and use that as a mechanism to make big polluters pollute less. Okay, cool. A very succinct answer there, Tom. That is excellent. We're going to head quickly to the minor parties and independents because as we've made clear over this entire election campaign, we do operate with a two-party system, but we are seeing the rise in minor parties and independents. So talk me through what the Greens are suggesting. And you actually spoke to Adam Bant about this. I did speak to Adam Bant about this. So so the Greens, I guess, consistent with the, the very strong stance on climate action that they've taken over a period of time, their targets uh, are more ambitious than either of the major parties. And so they want by 2030 to have a, a 70% reduction and to be essentially out of coal and gas altogether by 2030 and to reach net zero emissions by 2035. There's a number of, I think, kind of key to the Greens policy is basically a big government investment to lead the way into renewables and to basically force us or take us out of coal and gas altogether for the government to really lead the way with with money and with building the sort of renewable projects that need to be built, but also by sort of stepping in to guarantee jobs will be provided to people in coal communities and that sort of thing who lose jobs. So it's very much, I guess, a more actively managed transition for, for the government than what the major parties are suggesting. I guess, as you hear in what I'm talking about, the major parties there, a lot of it is sort 
sort of setting up these mechanisms to either gently or less gently encourage businesses to make the change. I think with the Greens, it's more of an active kind of step. Um, So that's sort of the main point of difference there. And certainly if the Greens end up in the balance of power uh, with Labor, you can expect them to be sort of pulling Labor in the direction of of some of that stronger action. There are also a number of kind of independents this time around who are running kind of very prominent campaigns specifically on the issue of climate change and also in favour of stronger action. They tend to be running in kind of seats that are traditionally held by the Liberal Party. So in much the same way that you can expect the Greens to be pulling Labor along, if some of these independents end up in a a balance of power situation, you can kind of expect them to be pulling the, the coalition along as well. So there are a few kind of players on the sidelines calling for strong action on climate change who who could end up playing a significant role. Tom, thank you so much for running through what has led to many prime ministers losing their jobs and has caused many an argument within the major parties. So it's certainly something that is going to be very prominent this election and well after the election too. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode of this J&I Deep Dive. But until then, have a brilliant Monday.